بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي ونسلم على رسوله الكريم أما بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سبحان الذي أسرى بعبده ليلا من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم الراحمون يرحمهم الرحمن ارحموا من في الأرض يرحمكم من في السماء أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Most respected علماء حفاظ of the Holy Quran Elders and friends السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته سيدنا عمر بن العاس رضي الله عنه was appointed by سيدنا عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه to be a general of the army that was going to defeat the great Roman armies that were invading the Muslim lands at a very rapid pace. At one point, Sayyiduna Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu sends a message to Sayyiduna Umar that we are now outnumbered. We are outnumbered because there are 100,000 and we are just 9,000. And they have a very great leader and the title that they called, called their leader was an imam or sheikh or anything like that so perhaps it was a title in their language or perhaps it was the name of this person but he says that we fear that this artabun the title by which they uh, refer to their leader is going to defeat us because of his sheer numbers Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu replied to him injecting great courage into the heart of this leader, Amar ibn al-As, he said, our artabun will show their artabun. Telling him that, oh Amar ibn al-As, you are going to defeat this person. After much uh, warfare, it happened such that Sayyiduna Amar ibn al-As radiallahu anhu, with a small number of 9,000, had defeated this great army of 100,000, and that was known as, in the books of history, the battle that had preceded the conquest of Jerusalem at the hands of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. For four long months, Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu, he is, he's laid siege to the fort of Al-Aqsa. And in this time, the Muslim army had to bear the bitter cold, the snow, the winter, and all of the elements of the weather that had affected them. But this did not deter the Muslim army in the least bit. Rather, they continued with, perseve- with perseverance. Eventually, Sayyiduna Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu sends a letter to the ruler or to the leader, to the Artabun, and he says that it has now come time for you to surrender. He says, O Amr, this land 
of Al-Aqsa and this Jerusalem will never be conquered except by a man whose name is Umar. So the news reaches Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu that Allah is calling for you to conquer the land of Jerusalem. For us to understand we know Umar as Umar. But Sayyiduna Umar was not just an ordinary khalif or he wasn't just an ordinary sahabi. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu was the person for whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu was that sahabi for whom Nabi alayhi salatu was salam supplicated. And he said, oh Allah, you will assist Islam by entering this man and by bringing this man onto our side. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu was a man who was known for his sheer force and power. He was also a man who was known for his adil, for his justice. Once in the sweltering heat of Medina, Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu was seen walking about as though he was walking aimlessly, but he had some type of worry in the back of his mind. Like a person who has no solution to the problem in front of him. So when people asked him, Oh Umar, what is the reason for you walking like this? With so much of worry and pressure on your face, we can see it, it is evident. He said, one of the camels of, of sadaqah have gone astray. We've lost one of the camels of sadaqah. They say, Umar, you are a man, you are the ruler, you are a man of great power. All you have to do is instruct your servants and your slaves and they will go out and find this camel. He says the servants and the slaves won't bear the uh, won't bear my deeds on the day of Qiyamah. Umar will have to answer for what he is responsible for. So they tell him, Umar, okay, fine. Then why don't you wait until the end of the day when it's a little cooler? He says that the sun of this world is warm, is cooler than the fire of Jahannam. So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu sets off for Jerusalem. And on this journey, it is just himself, his donkey or his mule and his slave Aslam. So as they travel, they take turns that one will ride and one will walk. When they're entering the city, it is the turn of Aslam to ride and it is the turn of Umar to walk. Aslam says, O oh Umar, you sit on the donkey so that people will recognize you, people will know that you are the leader. He's saying, Nahnu qawmun a'azzanallahu bil Islam. We are not a group of people who take pride by sitting on a member. We are not a group of people who take pride in titles. We are not a group of people who take pride in territories. We are a group of people whom Allah has strengthened and given izzat true to, through Islam. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu enters Jerusalem in this way and he conquers Al-Aqsa and he brings it into the rule of the Muslim empire. For many centuries thereafter, Alhamdulillah bi-idhnillah with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Jerusalem, Palestine, Al-Aqsa was under the Muslim rule and there was peace and stability in this region. Approximately uh, 900 years ago, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destined that there will be a need for a liberator of Al-Aqsa and there will be a need for someone who will defend Al-Aqsa and there will be a need for someone who will save the people of Al-Aqsa. 
Now when we study the history of Palestine and Al-Aqsa, we come to know that after Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, there were three famous people who were known as the defenders of Al-Aqsa. Firstly, it was Nuruddin Az-Zangi. Secondly, famously known as Salahuddin Al-Ayyubi. And thirdly, is a man whom we've hardly heard his name of, but he was also equal in strength, power and might as the first two Ruknuddin Babars. Nuruddin Zangi, he was a man who was approximately 18 years senior to Salahuddin Ayyubi. Nuruddin, his actual name was Mahmud, his father was Imaduddin. Nuruddin actually means the light of religion. He was known as the light of religion because he was a man of great vision and intention. He was known as a man of great vision and intention because at the time when he was living, there was a very, very unstable political climate. At that time, the Muslim ummah was much divided. The rulers of the Muslim world could not see eye to eye. So it was Nuruddin Az-Zangi who brought some stability to the political climate of the Muslim Ummah. Because it was a time when the Crusaders were on a rise. So Nuruddin Az-Zangi he was that great leader and general that took it upon himself to form and forge alliances between the Muslim rulers. Even though it was at times that Nuruddin would form an alliance with a group of people and he would not be paid or recompensated for this. But if this group of the Muslim Ummah was being attacked by the Crusaders, then Nuruddin Azangi took it upon himself to march forth with his army and assist the Muslim Ummah. So he was known as Nuruddin for this was the first reason for bringing stability, political stability to the Muslim Ummah. We should always make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for ourselves. That Allah use us to be a means of unification of the ummah. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Tuba li abdin ja'alahu allahum miftahan lil khayri mighlaqan lishari. That glad tidings, good news is for that person who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made an avenue of goodness, an avenue of goodness and a door that shuts off evil. On the converse, Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam said, Woe and misery is for that person whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made as a gateway, as an opening towards evil, and a doorway that is shutting any type of goodness. May Allah protect us. So this should be our dua for ourselves, for our children, for our ulama, for everyone around us, that Allah must use us as doorways, as keys that open the doorways of goodness in the ummah. This is actually what the ummah needs right now. The ummah needs... Uh, goodness, the ummah needs good actions, the ummah needs uh, uh, um, to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The ummah needs you and I to link each other to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is often said in the English language, a good friend is the one who speaks to you about Allah and speaks to Allah about you. A good friend is he who speaks to you about Allah and speaks to Allah about you. Therefore, 
This should be our motto in life that we link people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We find every excuse to link people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We find every excuse to give people a hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was the first characteristic of Nuruddin Az-Zangi. Second, Nuruddin Az-Zangi rahmatullahi he was known for that he defended the honor of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a way and a manner that was never defended before. He lived 500 years after the death of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yet Allah chose him to be a defender of the honor of Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam in such a spectacular manner. Nuruddin Az-Zangi rahmatullahi this was a hallmark and a feature of the leaders of the past and it continues to remain a hallmark and a feature of great people and that is the performance of Salatul Tahajjud. Once after performing Salatul Tahajjud, Nuruddin Az-Zangi fell off to sleep and in his dream he sees Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam and I quote this hadith very very importantly for us to understand nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said walam yabqa min an-nubuwwati illa al-mubashshirat that the avenues and the doorways of messengerhood and prophethood have been shut there's no messenger to come after nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam neither is there any person who will receive any messages from allah but he says there is one avenue through which you will receive glad tidings. Sahaba asked him, What is this avenue of receiving glad tidings? Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam said, Ar-ru'ya as-saliha, that pious dreams which you will use to attain glad tidings in this world. So Nuruddin Azangi sleeps that morning and he sees Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam summoning him. And he says that see these two people, Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam goes into detail describing these two people. He says these are two people who have set out to destroy me. So Nuruddin woke up with a fright. Books of history record that despite Nuruddin being great, a great imam, a great leader, Nuruddin being a great general of his time, he proceeded immediately to the masjid and he made mashura with his local imam. And he said, O oh Shaykh, O oh Imam, this is the dream that I have seen. The mashura and the guidance that was given to him that, O oh Nuruddin, you must now leave and you must depart rather towards Medina Munawwara. For the Prophet ﷺ is summoning you. Nuruddin thought to himself that if I am going to defend Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, I need to have a very, very important, a very, very careful strategy. Now follow what I am saying. Strategy is a part of his life in being a visionary. When we spoke early on, how he brought political stability to the Muslim ummah. Secondly, how he uses strategy to safeguard the honor and the izzat of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And thirdly, most importantly, the item which we are discussing, the strategy he used to safeguard the honor of Al-Aqsa. So he proceeds to Medina Munawwara with a caravan laden full of gifts. He reaches Medina Munawwara also with the intention of Hajj. 
So when he reaches Medina Munawwara, he enters the city, he greets the governor, and he says that I have gifts for all the inhabitants and the citizens of Medina. He calls each one, he greets them, and he hands the gift to them with his own by his own hands. When he notices that these two people were not there in the queue to receive their gifts, he asks the local people, is there anyone who, abs- who absented themselves from today's proceedings? So they said, yes, there are two people and they are known to be pious people, hence they wouldn't come out to mix with the common man. So Nuruddin summoned for these two men, and when he noticed that these two men were exactly the description of what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam had given to him, he instructed his men to inspect the home of these two people whilst he kept them occupied. When his men inspected the home of these two people, they found that from their home which was on the outskirts of Medina, they were actually digging a tunnel towards the grave of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and they were actually part of the crusaders. Their intention was to exhume the body of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam to humiliate the Muslims. So immediately Nuruddin had them executed and he had them punished, he had them executed. It was this great act of bravery or it was this great act of defending the honor and the izzat of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that also led him to being known as Nuruddin, the light of this deen. Thirdly, what he is famously known for is that he was known as one of the liberators of Al-Aqsa. Now Nuruddin, as we spoke and we mentioned earlier on, is that he was 18 years elder to Salahuddin al-Ayyubi. And he was a great part of the growing up in the life of Salahuddin Ayyubi. He supported Salahuddin Ayyubi in the following way. When he noticed Salahuddin being a young man of displaying great courage, displaying, displaying uh, his intelligence, in fact Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, he was admitted he was admitted into education by the father of Nuruddin Azangi, who was known as Imaduddin. Actually what had happened is, their parents, the fathers were very good friends, because they both were sultan, they both were leaders, they both were rulers. And it was Imaduddin who was granted refuge in the court and the castle of the father of Salahuddin Ayyubi, in the cities near Iraq. When Imaduddin became Sultan, and the father of Salahuddin Ayyubi, Ayyub was his name, was exiled from his own city, it was Imaduddin who took them in. So it was actually they grew up in one household. So he put him through the formal system of education, whatever was prevalent at that time, it is said that he was a master mathematician, he was a master in strategy and warfare, he actually learnt the art of battalion and navigation in his young days. So when Nuruddin saw that this young man has great potential, he said, let me harness this potential. He immediately dispatched him in an army with his uncle towards 
the northern tip of Africa. So it was at this point when Salahuddin Ayyubi, accompanied by the uncle of Nuruddin Az-Zangi, reached Egypt. The uncle of Nuruddin Az-Zangi sadly passed away. Who was next in line to be uh, placed as the leader of this army? It was none other than this young man known as Salahuddin Ayyubi. His name was Yusuf bin Ayyub. Salahuddin Ayyubi, when he is placed in this strategic position, Nuruddin Az-Zangi, at that time he was a man of advanced age. His wisdom had taken the better of him and he expressed his happiness on the appointment of Salahuddin Ayyubi as the leader of Egypt. So this is the third factor for which he is known or which contributes towards him being known as Nuruddin. He was also one of those who orchestrated the great attack against the crusaders. For us to understand in perspective when we speak about Al-Aqsa, and when we witness the desecration of Al-Aqsa, and when we witness, in today's time I'm speaking about, the attacks on Al-Aqsa, and the people of Al-Aqsa, and at times it may cause us to become despondent. But my dear friends, understand that there was a time in history when the crusaders had uh, invaded this land. They had invaded the lands of the Muslim empire. They had actually invaded the lands of Jerusalem. They had desecrated the masajid around Al-Aqsa. They had mutilated the bodies of the Jews and the Muslims. They killed men, women and children. A books of history tell us that when the army men of when the soldiers of the crusaders would be walking out of the city, then they would be walking through a knee-length pool of blood. So these were the atrocities that were perpetrated by the crusaders against the Muslim Ummah. So Nuruddin Az-Zangi had orchestrated and planned this attack with Salahuddin Ayyubi, this overtake with Salahuddin Ayyubi. He had actually prepared a member, one of its kind. In the year 1969, the member of Nuruddin Az-Zangi was burnt in a terrorist arson attack. A very, very sad day for the Muslim Ummah. This mimbar that was prepared by Nuruddin Az-Zangi, it is said that it was made up of six and half thousand pieces without a, without a drop of glue and without a single nail on it. So the artifacts that were on this was absolutely remarkable. It was the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Nuruddin Az-Zangi rahmatullahi passed away before he saw his plan coming into fruition. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed his son Ismail bin Nuruddin Az-Zangi and his near and dear student Salahuddin Ayyubi to be the liberators of Al-Aqsa. To be those people who were the visionaries, to be those people who were behind the overthrow of the crusaders and bringing Al-Aqsa back into the hands of the Muslim empire.
Now if that incident, those incidents actually are very much detailed, but for purposes of our understanding, firstly we spoke about the three defenders of Al-Aqsa. We spoke about Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, his greatness in the eyes of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his acceptance amongst the Muslim ummah, his appointment of Sayyiduna Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu as the leader who conquered the areas around Jerusalem, and finally how he had conquered Al-Aqsa. Then three great leaders who were known as defenders of Al-Aqsa, and what were their outstanding quality, for qualities? First was Nuruddin Az-Zangi. We spoke about his life in detail. Second was Salahuddin Al-Ayyubi. And we've briefly touched on his life. And third was Ruknuddin Babars. It is said regarding these three individuals that they were such remarkable leaders. They were such remarkable leaders that there was no one on the face of the earth who had anything negative to say about them, including their own enemies. Once, Ruknuddin Babars, when he was, when he had conquered Al-Aqsa, and he was the Sultan of the time, he was the Khalif, he was the Amir al-Mu'mineen, actually it was a French woman, non-Muslim who had lost her baby. So Ruknuddin, he instructed the entire uh, royal courthouse to come to a standstill. And all of the servants from the royal home went out in search of the baby. When the baby was found, Ruknuddin himself went to the home of this woman to return the baby. Subhanallah. This was the exemplary akhlaq that was displayed by the leaders of yesteryear. Now my dear friends, coming to what is current and where we stand today. Al-Aqsa we know as a place that a, as a masjid, the compound, the area that is very important to us as believers. Actually it was the first qibla of the ummah. And actually it is the land for which Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam made dua. Allahumma barik lana fi yamanina wa fi shamina. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that this is ardul mahshar. This is the land upon which you will all be resurrected on the day of Qiyamah. Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam said that this is Ardul Wahi, that this is the land which received so much of revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that this is Ardul Anbiya, this is the land of so many messengers. So what is our duty to Al-Aqsa right now as we speak? Firstly, my dear friends, we must have the correct Aqidah of Masjid Al-Aqsa. We must have the correct aqidah of incidents like Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj that took place in the precincts of this holy place. We, secondly is that we should be continuously making dua for the people of Al-Aqsa and we should be making dua for the masjid itself that Allah return this entire compound to the Muslim ummah once again. Amin. Thirdly, in whatever way it is possible, we as an ummah, we need to realize that we are responsible for this as an ummah. We, it is not just the responsibility of one group, or it is not a segregated or isolated duty to any one person or group. We as an ummah should support the cause of Al-Aqsa. Fourthly, we should visit Al-Aqsa. 
for those of us who have visited Al-Aqsa, may Allah take everyone repeatedly to Al-Aqsa. And we should have this intention. Actually, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has also given glad tidings and great rewards for that person who ties his ihram from Al-Aqsa and goes for Hajj and Umrah. So we should make it an intention that we visit these holy lands. For those of us who have visited, we know that the inhabitants of Al-Aqsa become so happy, so overjoyed and elated because they say the Zionists, when uh, we, we, they confront us, then they tell us that, look, your entire uh, Muslim brotherhood has abandoned you. Nobody comes to see you or visit you. That is why they become very excited when we visit them. That is why they go out of their way to receive us. And fifthly is, we should talk about what is happening in the Muslim Ummah. And for us to talk about it, we should be aware about it. And we should be aware about it from authentic sources. What will happen when we talk about it? It will then inject the love for our history. It will then inject the love for these great companions and these great leaders in the hearts of our young children. And it will then spark this love of Iman and it will foster this brotherhood that we so desperately searching for. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us correct understanding and tawfiq to make amal wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alam.